you will find once you get involved in this industry that it's very intense. There is a tremendous amount of things that can go wrong. Um, it takes, it is a, a 100% one of these industries that requires long-term relationship building. And the only way to really do it properly, in my opinion, and I would say, um, you know, 95% of our industry is full-time, seven days a week, and you have to be able to stick with it through those first three to five years minimum. Welcome everybody back to another exciting show to be about that water podcast. I am your host, Anthony, where we help you build strong financial habits. And I actually want to bring on um, a special guest by the name of Thomas Gordon. Um, and the cool thing about Thomas is that he doesn't own a business. And that's really cool because like I said, this show is for you. I want any and everybody with any type of finances, we all go through our day to day and we actually talk about our habits. Now, Thomas, though, he is actually heavy on real estate and crypto. And that was one of the two main hot topics this year, especially because of the recession. How you doing today, Thomas? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, because of this recession that we're going through, how is business in real estate? Uh so yeah, I mean, interest rates over the last ten years have been such a driving force in in uh, what's been a ferocious market. I mean, I got started in 2011 um, after finishing school in Los Angeles. I came back to DC. I'm a I'm a native Washingtonian, and um, you know we were. It was fortunate because I got started at a time when there was you know DC was one of these markets that had recovered much quicker than or was recovering much quicker than the rest of the country because you have the combination of like pretty strong private sector but also just kind of guaranteed money in the public sector vis-a-vis the government and politics and attorneys and state department folks you know um so you know it was easy to get started under those conditions but you know now the the music is definitely starting to to stop a little bit as we get into you know, trying to save off inflation and raising the 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 interest on money. Um, it, it's not across the board, uh, right? Like, um, it, not every product is suffering. There's still some neighborhoods that are still extremely, you know, um, strong for sellers, and and there's still a lot of buyer demand for. Um, but you're seeing. You're definitely seeing things slow as like people who would otherwise be entering the marketplace as first time home buyers or maybe upgrading from first home to second home. You know, they're being prices haven't come down enough to the point where these interest rates are making it affordable for them to buy anymore. So um, it's definitely a concern for a lot of people in in the real estate sector, no doubt. Yeah. Since you've been doing it for like 11 years, um, what are the. I would guess you would say, what is the best program for a first-time homeowner uh, to get in to be part of to get their first property? I mean, I would say, you know, I mean, new construction is a great option. Uh, frankly, I mean, you have some incentives by the district, you know, and first-time home buyers in Maryland, but they're not. They're not. Uh, I wouldn't call them like jaw-dropping, you know, points of entry. Whereas, you know, new construction is a nice option for your first house because 
Um, most of these communities are offering, you know, almost all of your closing costs paid, right? If you use their in-house lender, you're going to get, you know, um, potentially like two to two and a half percent off of your, off of your, you know, in some cases, 10, 15, $25,000 off of your closing costs, which is an enormous help because that's money that you would otherwise have to come out, out of pocket with and not be able to finance. Um, now, you know, obviously, uh, when interest rates are higher, you you do, you do want to, you know, sort of focus on the lending side and, and, and get the best rate there. And that's another reason for new construction is like, you can go with the lowest rate possible irregardless, sorry, regardless of, um, sort of, you know, having to use a really highly accountable local lender with really good performance rates, because the house is going to take, a year and a half to two years to build so it's really like you know you, you can kind of breathe easy that way and and all it's also obviously nice not to have to compete against other buyers potentially um and then pump up the price in a, in a multiple offer situation nice so i always hear these terms about points can you explain mm -hmm. of what they are yeah. So, I mean, I definitely would defer a lot of the lending side to an actual loan officer in terms of the finer points, but, um, you know, points are essentially, um, well, I'll give you an example, like, um, mortgage, mortgage interest, right. It's just a fancy word for a point penalty, uh, that you have to pay each month to the lender for coming up with less than 20% down. Um, and so that's one that people always try to avoid if they can, but, um, yeah, points are basically just, um, are just, uh, you know, they can be fees or, or something that's tacked on to the, to the, the principle of the loan that you're, you know, the lenders throw that term around a lot because uh, loan officers really are, are not just dealing with you on the front side of, of loaning you the money, but you'll find out very quickly that at, right immediately after, you know, you close on the property, that lender is probably going to be selling your mortgage to a, a, another, another interested party. And that'll happen multiple times through the life of the loan. Um, and, um, you know, they're selling each other debt and the interest on that debt are the, are the points involved. But I would definitely um, save the lending side for a loan officer. Cause I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. Like it's pretty compartmentalized our industry, you know, like we're taught to basically focus strictly on, you know, contract negotiation. What does the contract say? Explaining, you know, all those finer points to people so that, um, we navigate that contract in a way that either protects the buyer or maximizes the interests of the seller. And, you know, I, I tend to just let the lender lend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Stay in lane, pretty much. Put the yeah. Just keep it focused. Um, right. A lot of people that are um, in looking into actually getting their second property or mm -hmm. just kind of figuring out if they should be a passive investor. And like, they hear all these cool, cliche terms um, about real estate and actually getting into it. What are the as you could say, the biggest hurdle that you've uh, witnessed with someone that's actually getting their first home? So um, buying your first home, like I said, over the last, you know, 10 plus years has been, has been very friendly to buyers. I mean, 
uh, you know, it's it's actually kind of nice to be a buyer right now, despite the interest rates, because you can kind of sit back and and you know sort of pick apart deals, right? Like th- that was not the case over the past decade. You know, you basically had to either get in and be prepared for a dogfight for just about every property. And, you know, hopefully you have an agent who can still help you win under what were extremely aggressive, you know, circumstances in terms of what you had to come out to pay and and be willing to sacrifice in terms of contingencies in the contract to, to win a house. But now, because, you know, um, you know, d- demand has fallen due to interest rates. If you're, if, if you're still able to save money and obviously beat inflation, which is a much larger conversation, um, you know, the things are going to, I see, I foresee like improve for buyers and it's, and you can be afford to be patient now and, and wait for, I mean, you can never, there's no such thing as timing the bottom, right? You, you, it's very difficult to catch a falling knife. So a better question that buyers buying their first home should ask is like, is this, whether it's a house or any other investment, is it cheap or is it expensive? If it's cheap, you should be considering buying, whether that's the bottom or not. And, and I mean this in a, if you zoom out historically, right? Um, and if it's expensive, you sell. And so, I mean, it was during the pandemic that I was telling people, you know, I wrote a note to all my, my, my clients who had owned a home for over five years. I'm like, I have never seen a more favorable market to sellers in my, you know, neither me nor my business partner who's been doing this over 20 years had ever seen circumstances so favorable to sellers. And, you know, I was urging them like, Hey, just so you know, I do not, I don't think this could possibly last. You know, I see a long, a a long, a bigger, longer term picture where money is going to start to have to get more expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people listen and some people didn't, but now, you know, if you haven't sold by now, um, you kind of miss the boat a little bit, depending on what you own. Um, But I think it's a great time for buyers, especially first time home buyer to just sit back, kick their feet up, you know, watch and see what happens with the fed and, and, and the market. Uh, And, um, hopefully be in a position if, if um, prices do start to get suppressed to be able to get something at a very affordable, affordable circumstance. Nice. Um, Cause you mentioned politics a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. How important are politics in your, in your realm for your business? Um, I mean, as an agent, we're just taught to steer clear of political discussions <laughs> because, you know, even though DC is a very liberal city, you just, you don't know. Like you, you never want, there's a lot of time spent educating. We have to do continuing education every two years to keep up with like changes in legislative policy and, you know, to our, our contracts and things to know. But a lot of the education is spent on like educating on how to deal with, with people as your, as your customers and clients. And you don't want to assume anything about anyone. That's like a, a, a big, a big no, no. You know, so you, you, you may think, you know, you have someone figured out and you have a good rapport with them, um, but their politics may be completely different from yours. And so you just, you know, it's kind of like dating, like (laughs) until you really know someone, you kind of just want to steer clear of politics and religion and all that kind of stuff. Because it really doesn't serve you. And and I think that um, money in general, whether it's real estate or otherwise, 
um, people may think it's, it's like there's a lot to be considered in terms of how politics influence, uh, you know, the state of things. And my opinion is that, that money doesn't really, um, money doesn't really care about politics one way or the other, and neither should you. If your goal is to be successful in an uh, you know, investor, whether it's real estate or otherwise, you know, it, there is a priesthood around money, whether it's like IRS tax code or just like, you know, investing and nowhere in there, you know, in that handbook or, you know, uh, sort of uh, navigational realm of how to how to make money and be profitable. Does it ask whether you're a Democrat or Republican or an independent? I mean, that sure. none of the language is really set up that way. And it's 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 um it's the same in in real estate you know politics don't really enter into things that's good now talk about your upbringing because not everybody has the the mentality to deal with real estate for that long like you hear some people usually hear like um just middle-aged women getting into real estate and it's like okay well that's that's what you want to do um but you found that out like you know in your youth shall i say and stick with it so what was your mindset around that time frame? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's like, I mean, I think, you know, it's there's not a huge barrier to entry for our industry, which is good because it allows a lot of people from many different backgrounds to be able to get their license and, and start, you know, helping people. Um, but it also doesn't really lend to us a tremendous amount of like consumer confidence. You know, real estate agents aren't really trusted in in many opinion poll surveys like like say your doctor or your lawyer right Mm -hmm. so you have to be prepared to really prove yourself to the general public and so um the way you do that is really like you know we as agents we tend to struggle with many people having being licensed and so we'll have a number of transactions throughout a year where we're dealing with someone who's maybe newly licensed but which is fine. It's okay to be newly licensed. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has to be at some point, but a lot of folks are just kind of doing it part-time, you know, they've got another nine to five job. And so they're just kind of weekend warriors out there to get a little, a little extra scratch, you know, and I think that's a major disservice, not just to our industry, but to the actual clients themselves, because you will find once you get involved in this industry, that it's very intense there is a tremendous amount of things that can go wrong. Um, it takes, it is a, a 100% one of these industries that requires long-term relationship building. And the only way to really do it properly, in my opinion, and I would say, um, you know, 95% of our industry is full-time seven days a week. And you have to be able to stick with it through those first three to five years minimum, um, you know, uh, hustling as hard as you can to get in front of as many people as you can to learn as much as you can. Um, and those, that's the hardest point because you, you know, you, it takes time to build a book of business to where you're consistently getting referrals and, you know, you know, someone's going to own their house for five years. That's how long it's going to take for your buyers to become sellers minimum. Okay. Right. So you got to be thinking if like, if I can make it to years um, six, seven and eight, 
you, that's when you start making, you know, serious money um, because you're, as long as you're staying in touch with your people that you helped and you're doing a good job, they're going to be calling you back and you're going to be, you're going to be start balancing out more like list side transactions to buy side. Um, so you have to be willing to stick, stick with it. I mean, I, I, to make ends meet when I fir first couple of years, remember, this is also still the, the, <laughs> worst recession for, for decades, basically, that we that I was just kind of getting started in. And, you know, it's a grind in the beginning, even when you have there was at that time, a ton of internet leads coming through because there was all this, the, both national and international kind of interest in, in the DC market, I think people with money were looking like, hey, where am I? We're going to pick up some property, you know, under these circumstances where it's like things are are cheap and, and there's not a lot of competition. And D.C. happened to be one of those places, but that gradually started to thin out. And so, you know, um, I would say if uh, if you're going to get started in real estate, you know, we're coming up on another opportunity where if there is an ex uh, a, a bigger crash, right, like get your ducks in a row now because that's going to thin out. A lot of your competition in terms of agents, you know, 95% of our business is done by 5% of the people. Wow. Um, and that's a very telling statistic. So if, if you can manage to be full time and take this seriously and don't give up on it and you become one of those 5% of people, you will be making, you know, exponentially more than the person who just kind of dips dips their toes in and out of the water yeah because um you know you hear people that want to do this but don't have the the leverage to make it full-time and right. i understand everybody had to start somewhere so they might have to be that weekend warrior but for how long like <laughs> you know and yeah to get in front of so many people do you actually have like a tiktok out there to tell people like hey i'm a real estate agent here in, in dc let me know if you want a house like, <laughs> well, you know, a lot of like a lot of many of the uh, really younger agents that I like, and I'm not saying I'm old or anything like that, but like some of the more, you know, I'm a millennial, but I'm, I'm creeping up on 40 here. And, and I'll tell you, like, I, I was, I had a, a very, I helped my team develop and my previous team. I helped develop their website. Um, and I, and I was very tech savvy and like more, um, social media forward. Um, I was good enough at this that I built enough client base that I didn't have to necessarily put myself out there to that degree anymore. And I've always found social media to be kind of a toxic place in some, in some degrees, um, not from a business side, but like, um, yeah, I would say like, so I don't, so I'm one of, I'm a, I'm kind of weird that way. I don't recommend this to people basically. Like I got off social media, but it was because I had enough, you know, of a book of business where that wasn't maybe necessarily a necessary grind for me anymore. Right. But if you're just getting started or even like, or I mean, you could be doing it as long as me. And like, if you're really hungry, you should absolutely continue to do that. Uh, Cause it's a great way to leverage and stay in front of people, widen your audience, you know, if who knows you're out there. And I see, you know, people doing the TikTok thing and the, and the Instagram shorts and all this stuff when they go into properties and they've really taken the time to understand like audience engagement, you know, do's and do nots. And it's very impressive to me. 
I'm just not that guy anymore, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I still, I have like, uh, 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 I will, I will grind my cell phone into dust. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not big into like new snazzy technology or, um, that type of stuff. So probably not a good question for me, but I would absolutely encourage people to pay attention to that because when you're just starting out or, um, trying to expand just beyond, especially if you like, let's say you go to a new city. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a native Washingtonian. So a lot of my first people were friends and family who lived here and have been there their whole life. Right. And that's the crazy part about real estate is like, I could be doing this 40 years, right. Move to Hawaii. And it would be basically as though I had done nothing. Yep. Because like, I mean, I would know, I would know, you know, real estate in general, as far as, as far as like how to navigate a contract and stuff. Once I learn, you know, get licensed there, but in terms of pay, it's not like, it's not like you've been uh, at a company for 40 years and then you move to another city where they're giving you a raise and like more responsibility. You're basically starting over again because you need to convince people to work with you and people work with who they know, like, and trust, which tend to be like friends and family. Right. right. Um, so you have to bear that in mind. It's like, if, if you really want to have a long sustained career, you kind of got to, you got to make that decision early on. And you got to say to yourself, like, will I be happy being in Washington, DC or being in Connecticut or being in, you know, Michigan for the next 20 years. And, and, you know, knowing that I started to pay very close attention and be very careful about what I did with the money I, I net profited so that I could invest as quickly as possible and free myself up as soon as I possibly could to be able to move or have other options. See, now you're hitting on a, a topic that I like to talk about, which is the psychology of things. You're listening to the About That Wallet podcast. We'll be right back after these messages. Are you planning to travel soon and you just need something to travel with you to clean the dirty laundry because you don't want to have the stinky socks hanging next to those clean white shirts? Then Look no further. You want to make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze, which is clean laundry, no plastic jugs. Turn an everyday chore into an act of kindness. Earth Breeze provides a powerful clean while making a difference. An eco-responsible laundry detergent deliver it to your home. So go ahead on and join 1 million plus people who have made the switch. They experience a powerful clean, remove tough stains and strong odors, Works in all machines, HE included, hypoallergenic, Ooh. and great for sensitive skin, in safe space, and easy to use. I make sure I use that on all of my products. Make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze today. Go to aboutthatwallet.com forward slash Earth Breeze. Are you tired of being broke? Is the month lasting longer than your actual paychecks? Well, get the Simple Budget Calendar. You can get the Simple Budget Calendar at aboutthatwallet.com shop and download your Simple Budget Calendar today.
Now, you actually have graduated with a major in psychology from UCLA. Sociology. Um, Sociology. Oh, my gosh. All right. Let me add it. It's okay. (laughs) That's where the bleep is coming. Um, But within, uh, for sociology, so you're actually understanding, um, like, how people are interacting with each other. And having that mindset, did that help you out in your current business now? Yeah, it's, I mean, it does. I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, uh, what do, what do people, people study when they go to school, you know, and I've always been a very, um, um, outgoing, uh, kind of precocious personality. I like talking with people. I like being around people. Um, and, and so sociology is basically the study of people and culture. So, um, it kind of just, enhanced those innate uh interests anyway and in real estate if you don't like people do not be a real estate agent because it's not it's not it's you have to be willing to put yourself out there all the time you have to be willing you want to be around people as often as possible in fact like a lot of a lot of like what my business partner and i have have designed for ourselves and what a lot of very successful teams do is to have people who assist you in all the other aspects behind the computer, you know, uh, like a marketing, like someone to handle like the marketing of your property, someone to handle social media engagement, someone to handle contracts to close all stuff. I know how to do, but I shouldn't be doing because the business is actually really, you want to be in front of people all the time. You want to be, you want to be going, you know, to any, any sort of, any way you can engage with people you both know and don't know that's actually you're building your business. Even if you're just having fun and talking to people, just kind of planting the seed that like, I'm a real estate agent. That's what you should be doing all the time. Well, this is where I should, I'm a real estate agent. Like. <laughs> right. Seriously. And even with people who you would think, remember that, that you are an agent, you know, people that you've worked with in the past, um, it is a cardinal rule. You have to keep track of them wherever they may go and you want to be you know popping by as often as possible you know sending them stuff in the mail um to constantly be reminding them because you'd be surprised people will forget and then they they decide they want to sell and and then they you know they don't even they can't even dig up the contact info for who helped them in the first place not everybody not automatic for everybody right um and you'll you'll go to like make contact with them and see their address has changed and you'll be kicking yourself so in other words be that mcdonald's uh that mcdonald's app man that'd be on me all the time like hey we got those fries you like for two dollars yeah i mean you need to um i mean for instance um so we used to have a system with our old team. We were all about engagement where we would do pop buys and we would have a list of addresses. And every week we'd have some, some small token of appreciation, like a little gift or a cal- magnet calendar or some, you know, something to drop by and whether or not they were home or not, you know, a lot of times in the day they wouldn't be. And you just hang it, leave it by the door and just say, Hey, just stopping by and, you know, drop this off for you. Little things like that. They, they go a long way. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, you know, you're, um, you're, you got a client who's posting, Oh, look what my real estate agent gave me, you know, and then, and they put that on Facebook and now all the people they know 
like, oh, they got a good agent. Hey, by the way, can you give me his contact info? Because we're thinking about doing this or that, right? That, that's great marketing right there. I like that. Yeah. Because um, I saw somebody on Instagram who is actually giving their uh, their buyers Louis Vuitton bags just for shopping with them. And I was that like, it's so funny you say that because my buyer who I settled with today sent me that uh, <laughs> yesterday as kind of a hint, hint, wink, wink, like he's right. out here giving his clients Louis Vuitton. And I said, well, I'm having a uh, electronic lock installed uh, in your place for you that I'm taking care of. I'll cancel that and just fly to France and go get you your bag. I mean, it's just that type of stuff, you know, when you can do something like that, that get goes viral, because obviously the second person is to mention that, you know, that's huge for that guy. He's going to get a ton of calls off of that. So that that's a, sometimes going over the top. It it's more than just the price of the the gift. It it pays for itself, you know, way many more times over. Yeah, that's why I say the power of your phone is is uh is more expensive than you actually pay for the actual phone because like it provides so much access. It provides you open up to the world and then allow people to come to you uh, in that realm. So trying to get to this, uh, the second segment of the show, which is talking about like some of the habits um, around like what got you to where you are today. And one of those habits in, that I want to talk about is um, the fear of money. So what was your first fear of money? My first fear of money was, um, I mean, literally just having finished school in the middle of one of the worst recessions this country has ever seen and understanding that like, you know, thank God for that. I have, you know, powerful like family and friend network, but I still probably applied for upwards of 300 jobs over the course of like a year and a half, you know, uh, just, yeah, trying to get anything. I mean, I sold, I've, I've never been allergic to work. I mean, I sold and I've always loved making money. So like, I actually didn't enjoy school really for most of my life. Right. I've always actually much, I've enjoyed making money is thrilling to me. And I've, I've sold solar panels door to door in college during the recession. And like, I got out and then the, my, you know, the fear of, of scarcity of money, you know, can be a very, it can, it can toughen you up. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it was, it made me hard. I mean, I, I like, I basically was like, I'm so tired of getting rejected. I was competing for internships with people's with master's degrees, right. That it was just so bad. And, you know, you, I was like, all right, well, I just need to, go wait tables until I find something. I just gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta make some money. And, and, and then in real estate, you know, you know, the fear of money, what it became for me was I want to take care of the money that I make, um, you know, as aggressively as I possibly can so that I don't have to go through another 2008, as an as an independent contractor as a real estate agent which i know is going to get you know hit um very badly just like it did at that time um so i would say that was that was a very real fear for me and and, uh, and i took it seriously 
Yeah, it seems like it. You keep running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, because you did mention like trying to think, take things outside of work, and and that is another strategy that I want everybody to kind of take note of. It's like, yeah, you have your nine to five, you have your your work, but that is one step away from being broke in case something happens. And so you also have here that you are heavily invested or have interest in crypto. And so as a way to kind of balance your, as you could say, your income a little bit, can you talk a little bit more about the crypto space um, and what you have used as your habits inside of crypto space? Absolutely. So just like a little background of how I got there. Um, at one And one thing I would absolutely like is a must do for anybody listening to this channel, um, crypto or otherwise, find a wealth advisor, someone whose job it is like every day to help people invest and make money and, and a CPA, a tax, uh, you know, an accountant. Um, those are two of the most important people to have a relationship with in order to start somewhere and, and retire early. There's way too much for any one person to know on their own. I mean, it's like I said, it's the, it's this, the priesthood of money, right? It's just the tax code itself is, I think it's dizzying and voluminous for a reason. And so you need some, you need these two people to be your experts um, in both of those fields. And I did start there. And so I, I wasn't originally invested in crypto. I, I eventually got there, but you know, the wealth advisor that I had, who I've also recommended to uh, several of my other um, uh, clients and they, and he's made them a tremendous, tremendous amount of money, did a great job investing for me. Um, and then it was just kind of, it's weird how it happened. I mean, it was still this mentality of like, I want to invest aggressively and, and, you know, not be, you know, um, tied to a job, you know, for the rest of my life. And, and it was just, someone had suggested another, another project. And I, and I started investing in that, but like, it didn't work out the first one. Um, but the, what I learned, you know, through that experience and what I came to discover about where this particular inv asset class is headed um, was so fascinating to me. I mean, I, it's, it feels as though this is, this is a, a new type of internet being born, the internet of things, the internet of value, right? Where anything is uh, can be tokenized and fractionalized and converted into a secure um, method of, of transfer of, of anything. It could be property, it could be art, um, it could be just the tokens themselves, um, but it's, it, it's, um, it's, it's being built underneath our, our noses, this new financial system and this new kind of network of, of blockchain and um, crypt it's essentially cryptography, <laughs> basically. Um, and, um, what I discovered in, in researching this space was that, um, that, you know, this is something to pay attention to, um, because it's still so early, you know, we obviously have seen this, this, um, explosion of, 
you know, um, you've got YouTubers and, and Twitter handles and, and you have traders who are guruing on, you know, how to pay attention to Fibonacci sequences and where to pick what's going to moon, quote unquote. And, um, you know, what, what I discovered was like, yeah, in a bull run, certainly, you know, this makes a lot of sense to me. You get a whole bunch of interest and a ton of speculative trading. But what none of that actually fascinated. What fascinated me was like, what is the actual utility of this of this new technology? Where is this headed? What is what is going to solve a real world problem? And once you start seeing that, you know, central banks and uh, you know, um, uh, money transfer uh, organizations like SWIFT and PayPal, and, you know, are, are getting involved in this space because it's a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful technology that for them, and that specific example, saves them a tremendous amount of money and increases, decreases friction, increases, um, the flow and speed of money. So um, it's really, uh, it's, that's what I'm waiting for is the utility phase of, of this. And I, you know, there's something like 15 to 20,000 crypto cryptos themselves out there, right. In the space. And I, I happen to think that 95 to 99% of those things are going to go away. And whoever's left standing is going to be left standing because they're regulatory compliant and they solve a problem. And that's, I think, very exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting um, because solving a, it goes back to ultimately, like you said, solving a problem. Like what is the point of creating it if you're not solving a problem? Um, and everybody has like that, uh, that baseline or whatever the base of that cryptological space of which one are they going to use? So like, yeah, Bitcoin might be the biggest one, but what other coins are being based off of that one? And like Ethereum, there are other uh, cryptos that are being based off that base. So um, how do we navigate that space and figure things out? Um, and so with that being said, Actually, you can go out there and create your own, right? You can. I mean, that's, you know, definitely not my wheelhouse. You know, I studied sociology and a little bit of environmental science, but definitely not. I think the last, last like web-based class I took was in high school, <laughs> you know, like just simple, very simple coding. Like, oh, I just turned the background blue, you know, <laughs> like, um, I mean, this, you have to be, there are some really brilliant people behind some of the best, some of like the most exciting stuff happened in the space. And you, and, and I guess, I guess there's ways to learn how to, yeah, create your own chain or, or, or coin or ecosystem. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that to me is great advice. Like if you, if you have that proclivity and you can, you enjoy coding or you have any sort of talent in that field, you should be, pouring your attention into this space because it's, it's going to be huge. It's going to be trillions of dollars worth of, of um, change in the system. Um, and, you know, the people, the people who can actually do it, you know, and, and create dApps and, you know, side chains and all this exciting stuff. Yeah. Cause again, it's so new, right. 
it's even after 10, 12 years, it's still, it's, it's a, a very young industry. And um, if, if you can do it, do it now because you're, that job is going to be high in demand, right? Like I'm, I'm sure a lot of like what you talk about on this show must be about, you know, what, what does the economy of the future look like? Mm-hmm. what what jobs are going to stay what what are going to go away because we you know we see all this ai being developed and and um, mechanization of, of of trying to replace a lot of labor sectors so you really want to get ahead of things you know you want to have a trade that um that will be practical in tomorrow's economy uh yeah i usually tell people looking at hvac and plumbing like that's not going anywhere <laughs> we need no I mean, stay warm or cold, and uh, we need to flush the toilet. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, um, the other thing I was going to say when, uh, about, um, you know, because you were talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum, we were talking about the practicality of some of these projects. Obviously, Bitcoin and Ethereum. What the best metaphor to me of what's going on right now is like it, it's very much like the dot com explosion, mm-hmm. right? You. Before before that that sort of bubble bursts uh, burst, it was you had the internet was a new thing, right? And so in the beginning, it was like AOL, right? So like AOL is is Bitcoin, and you know you get the I don't know how many people watching are old enough to remember getting like you get like a thousand hours on a CD, and you can't use the phone line because it's dial up, and you're you know, uh, and then like you're going on and like oh, I mean. There wasn't there wasn't a ton of sites either so you're basically just going on and then chatting with your friends <laughs> it was like it just really had didn't have the infrastructure that it, anything close to what it has now right um and then eventually that evolved and it became yahoo right yahoo was the next big uh platform and and sort of um place where everyone was driven right and then once all the dust settled and there was the dot-com bus it's like that's when Google rose and it with the technology was like a hundred times better than, than any other algorithm or, you know, company that had existed up to that point. And so I liken, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's like sort of the stage we're in, right. Where you still have people who are like AOL is the best and that's Bitcoin and (laughs) Yahoo is Ethereum. And I have my own theory as to what Google is, but, um, it's just to say that um, that metaphor is apt because not too many people research what the underlying technology actually is and why it matters, right? Proof of work versus proof of stake and some of the other protocols that are being used and why transaction speed, energy use, um, you know, uh, scalability, these things all matter, especially if you're going to whatever problem you're trying to solve, they matter even more, right? Because if, if, if it winds up being something that everybody wants to now use, you better hope that you've factored in scalability and energy use because your system will crash. Like I'm sure everybody who knows who's done anything in this space has seen Ethereum's gas fees, how long a Bitcoin transaction can take. Yep. Not too many people know that Bitcoin uses over 1% of the world's energy, of the world's energy. That's crazy. Just Bitcoin mining. Yeah, it's it's incredibly um, energy uh, energy taxing. 
Yeah, because there was a. I'm trying to find a statistic, but we'll um, since we're talking about transactions like per day, um, how does it say per second? Yeah, is that like because I'm looking at PayPal. PayPal does 193 transactions per second, and I think Bitcoin could only couldn't match how many transactions because they're doing it at a global scale, and I mm-hmm. believe they were only doing like maybe it was like maybe like one or two percent of the amount that paypal is doing or i think visa is one of the big ones yeah visa is the biggest one but when you break it down to like how okay i did find it hold on just give me one moment here i'm trying to get the actual stats but um because somebody just threw it up here so they're doing it uh currency speed transaction comparison by uh from visa to paypal um and they were just showing like a thousand uh they they doing like visa is doing twenty four thousand and bitcoin is doing seven ethereum is doing twenty so litecoin is doing um fifty six and paypal is at one ninety three so that's kind of showed a comparison right there so if they trying to work on speed but if you're using one percent of the world's energy just to do sixty that is the rate of return is is not that great. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think I literally, I, I read there's, there's a great, a a really great kid out there. I don't, I don't want to disrespect him that way, but he literally is a kid. I mean, he's, this guy's super young, but he is, he's a developer at with, um, uh, um, R3 in there. I think, I believe, R3 is a company and, and the, the, um, the coin associated with is XDC mm-hmm. and he does, he's, I've listened to him being interviewed and he, he just has so much in-depth knowledge about, about like blockchain itself and what's going on with these projects. And he's like, he's like, it's insane to me that people haven't done the math based on the energy usage there's like there isn't enough energy on the planet to make Bitcoin a globally scalable payments provider. It can't. You have a lot of people who, and I get where they're coming from because, like, I'm somewhat of, and I mean, I, I'm somewhat of a libertarian or independent, whatever you know, minded person myself. I don't like big central banks. I don't like the Federal Reserve. I don't like tyrannical governments. Uh, who does, right? You got to be a little brainwashed to like those things. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't have a place. And, you know, you have a lot of people who convince themselves in, in what I would say a very naive way that Bitcoin is somehow going to cancel out all the central banks and governments of the world and become, you know, this decentralized system that everybody can use and we and the banks will just go away. Um, and that is almost laughably naive <laughs> because not only does the technology, the technology, maybe it could change. I hope it does. I'm not a, I'm not a hater. Um, it's also a very tribal space that way, right? Like you have maxis of every coin imaginable um, and it's good to believe in something, but it's also important to be realistic about, about the expectations associated with, with um, some of these projects. So what do you think about um, just going on nuclear and just kind of give us nuclear energy just to kind of power it off? I, I mean, I think that, um, <laughs> well, 
to be honest, what I really think is that there is uh, there is free energy technology that has been black shelved by the government for a long time now, a- a- assuming they want to continue to keep that uh, secret from humanity. And we just have to deal with what's out there in the seven hundred trillion dollar petrodollar paradigm of, you know, oil, coal and it's that fossil fuels um, and nuclear. I mean. I don't think that any any of these options should be taken off the table if we don't want to, you know, put undue duress on the system we currently have. Yes, it's good to try to develop new stuff, but if you just start yanking options away um, too quickly, right? Um, people suffer big time. The economy suffers big time. Um, so I'm, a, I mean, I'm a fan of nuclear, but I mean people should probably be better educated in what is what is what are the costs of extracting these types of energies you know what is the input what's the output how much do they make sense you know um, how much more efficient can some of them become so that they they make even more sense and nuclear is certainly an option that i don't think should be taken off the table or folded anytime soon nice uh, all right. I know we were talking about the futures for the third segment um, as far as the currency and transactions and um, as far as like utilizing the next, I guess you could say, type of currency that's going to be utilized across the globe. Um, I guess you could say like what generation seven, <laughs> I guess, if you want to look at currency from mm-hmm. uh, just bartering system to, you know, the silver coins to the gold coins to animals and then next thing you know <laughs> we got all this now um we're already doing digital transactions already because when's the last time you got a paper check and actual paid in cash so right. oh it's just another um another branch inside of transactions so now we want to start talking about you again what is in the future within the next two years where do you see yourself um, the next two years, I see myself, um, um, well, I guess the question is, why do I see myself um, retired? doesn't mean done working, right. um, but I don't feel as though after two years that I will be in a position where I have to work for a paycheck anymore, okay? Um, and, you know, but that... That took years of patience and research and, and definitely some risk, right? Um, but I would say that I don't know what I'd be doing with my time because like all I'm focused on right now is just to get to that point. Um, I would say going back, cause you started mentioning, you know, precious metals and barter system and stuff. I mean, in my personal opinion, we're watching, we're witnessing the, the, the kind of slow demolition of the fiat-based debt system. And, but I think the powers that be that are kind of demolishing that behind the scenes are creating the new system underneath it, okay? And when, you know, so these, this concept of central bank digital currencies and everything going digital, is a very real thing. And you have you have countries and central banks around the world all testing and green lighting their own central bank digital currency. Yeah. And so it's important to what, what to understand that like if you because I also 
I don't, I think it's in many ways dystopian. I think the whole purpose of it is to be able to track and trace every transaction around the planet. And I think it's for people to be aware that like, because they're telegraphing that this is happening and very openly. I mean, you look at the white papers that are the, or, you know, the um, sort of framework that the world economic forum and the IMF and all of these NGOs are all, all basically stating in, in no uncertain terms is that this is the direction we're taking everything. And, you know, um, this kind of you'll own nothing and be happy, great reset that they keep advertising to us. And I think that I think that you should pay attention to it because you could be you could either be you could either profit tremendously from positioning yourself in anticipation of it, but also prevent yourself from becoming a victim of it that way. Right. And just another cog in this giant machine that they're creating for us. And if you're able to profit from it, I mean, I've always, part of why I was an environmental systems and society minor at UCLA is because I've always been about sustainability. I mean, if we don't course correct, you know, on, and this is related to everything with like housing and, 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 and everything really, if we don't get to a place, whether it's energy, housing, food production, goods and services that we move into a circular pattern, a closed loop where things can be, you know, uh, recycled and and continuous as is, I think, what is intended in nature, right? Um, And off of this, this line of of just produce, consume and destroy, um, we're going to be in for a rough ride. And so um, I think that part of my plan would be just get back to your, the answer to your question in two years. If I did, if I did calculate things right and I had the capacity to do so, I would be buying at least enough land that I could grow my own food, have solar panels. So I don't have, I'm not necessarily dependent on the grid stocking provisions, you know, of like real things that you're going to need. And, um, and, you know, kind of um, trying to disconnect from what I think is becoming this matrix like metaverse digital, you know, disconnect, you know, from, from nature. Um, And so that would probably be the next 20, 30 years of my life is, is, is moving away from that matrix like future with whatever you know, in whatever capacity I could and for that, that on to the next generation, you know, I mean, having been um, put through the DC public school system and seeing like what we're up against in the city in terms of, I see so many kids still on that, um, you know, go to get your undergrad train. And now you've got all this student loan debt and, 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 you know, and to do, you know, not understanding the ROI, of that, of that path. You know, you talked about HVAC and plumbing and stuff. And it's like, these guys are raking it in because they, they can charge whatever they want <laughs> at this point. Um, Cause nobody else. Yeah. Nobody really knows how to do that stuff anymore. No, you don't know how to fix your car. You don't know how to fix, you know, your, your clogged train. You don't know how to um, get, get your hands on some Freon to pour into your, into your, 
your uh hvac system on a 114 degree day in texas you know um so i think uh, freon is expensive it's like yeah dollars a pound or something like that yeah i mean i think we even talked about that um you know who which companies own freon because it's like (laughs) once you start to see where the world is headed you can kind of make some pretty logical bets on you know where to place your money or what to do right like what to pursue so that you know you, you'll always be in demand in the in the future economy yeah yeah we talk a lot on the futures i actually uh you know just listening to you i could actually see you in two years up and down on youtube just doing daily videos like did you see this like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got certainly got a lot to say. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that's probably not appropriate for this podcast, but um, I've experienced a lot in life. I've seen a lot. And I think like a lot of some of the maybe more extreme takes on what what I think are happening are 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 slowly coming true and it's giving me more and more confidence to to tell people you know hey i think you should really pay attention to 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 what's going on here um and um really i mean i think i think the smartest the smartest people when it comes to investing or you know becoming someone who people pay attention to because or influential right is there's something that every single person knows, right? Like they either have intuition or knowledge towards, and they know it better than 99% of other people. It could be something very specific, you know? Um, But that is what you should focus on and get even become even more of an expert on because that is just that's how our economy is. We're all hyper specialists and it's the same in investing. And that's what good investors say. It's like most of what's out there is noise. Like don't, don't copy Warren Buffett's portfolio. That's not meant for you. Don't copy this person. You know what they do. That's they, they know that that's their lane. Like what, what is it, you know, that most other people don't have a lot of insight into and trust trust your instincts on that and go with it, go with your gut. You know, it's, it's um, your intuition often doesn't lie. And if it's screaming stuff at you, pay attention to it, leverage it. And um, people will be coming to you for advice uh, in not too long. Nice. Awesome. So you ready for the final four question? Oh yeah. Hit me. So what does wealth mean to you? Wealth to me means um, abundance, not just for you, but for any, every generation subsequent to you. And it all, wealth really means to me freedom. Hmm. To me, it's, you know, it's not about, I don't want uh, an $80 million yacht. I don't need, a, you know, so much of what so many people say over in time through time and memorial about wealth is that after a certain point, those just, that just becomes stuff. It's just becomes stuff that you just get attached to. But the, the, the true impact of wealth to me is, is freedom. It's the freedom to be able to make your own choices and to go places you want to go 
without asking permission or needing to stay behind because somebody else cuts your checks. And it's the freedom to be able to offer that as a gift to your kids, your friends, your family, whoever. You don't have to have kids, but if you if that is something that you can pass along to another person, that is a, an even greater blessing. So that's what wealth means to me. Freedom for yourself and for the people that you care about. All right. Number two, what was your worst money mistake? Specifically or more like just in terms of like uh, what mistake did I have as an approach towards investing? Uh, specific. I mean, it's up to you. Um, what you consider is your worst money mistake. Cause some people say like, Oh, buying that car or, you know, going out buying drinks. Like it depends on you. Um, I would say, okay. So for me, and this is, this is actually really important. Um, if you are trying to become a real estate agent or, uh, an entrepreneur, the biggest mistake I think that I see made all the time, and I think all of us are guilty of it to a degree, real estate agents especially, is you get that check at the settlement table for, let's say, 20 grand, um, if it's like a million dollar property, right? Mm -hmm. And you're looking at $20,000. You're not looking at $20,000. You're looking at 60% of $20,000 because you're going to have to pay close to half of that bad boy to the old GOV uh, and the IRS. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you, you cannot take that check and immediately start spending it as though you have $20,000. You need to be really, really disciplined about making sure that if if you can't deduct anything that all that money for the irs is going to be sacked away and i'll tell you a story um we my in-laws bought a property in saint michael's and it's it turned out that the the person they were buying um this house from pretty historic house and it was it was an expensive purchase um, but the person they were bu buying it from without naming names was uh, another well-known real estate agent in my area who I was familiar with. And when they saw the uh, settlement statement, um, this was basically like a million dollar sale. And he, this particular agent barely covered the tax lien with, with that sale. In other words, he had like over $700,000 of tax debt <laughs> that, that he had to cover. Uh, and there's many more stories like that. And so like, I would say for your, for your 1099 folks, um, for sure, the biggest mistake that you can make is not being conscious of your tax obligations. Cool. Um, I know you said for others, but what was yours though? What was your mistake? Oh, I mean, I, I say that because like I, in the past, in the past, I've gotten behind. Yeah. Where I've like, I've gotten excited about this investment or that investment. And then next thing you know, like I get the bill from my CPA of what I'm going to owe. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, you know, I had to, I had to pull some money out of my SEP, all right. SEP, 
R-I, what is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and which is a penalty. You get penalized for that, you know. So it's, so that is, I've made that mistake. Not on the level of the agent I told you about, but I've made those mistakes in the past for sure. And they're, they are a true punch in the gut when they happen. Nice. Um, and yeah. for those of you who are wondering what SEP is, it's a simplified employee pension plan. Um, it's just so for those of you who are self-employed, you can get one of those. Uh, yeah, it's good. It allows you to tax-free. You can you can my my wealth advisor can make trades inside of it, invest inside of it, and make trades without being hit for capital gains. Yep. Third question is: What is your favorite financial or non-financial book? The Four Agreements. Mm. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. It's more. Um, it's more philosophical, but it, it's really important. It applies to everything. Let me see if I can. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the author for you real quick. I found it. Um, uh, Don Miguel. Yep. Uh, Ruiz. Ruiz. Mm -hmm. It's an easy read too. It's simple, but it's very profound. Yeah, not that this is not a war and peace. You should be able to pick this up and, and be through it in a day or two. And it'll it'll change you because it's it's very simple but profound truth. And I think it's one that a lot of people, especially in today's society, need to hear. All righty. Well, I'll make sure to uh, definitely put a link to that book. Um, I actually may add that to my Christmas list. It makes it, you know, I mean, obviously, unless you're an avid, avid reader, getting a big, thick book for Christmas is can be a bummer this could be this is one of those books that you get and you're like all right this this i can i can get through this pretty quickly this isn't a burden it isn't like homework you know and i guarantee you after the first 10 pages you won't be able to put it down nice all right well i'll keep you posted and let you know how that goes once i get the book okay um so this is a fun question that i always like to throw on here is what is your favorite dish to make uh chicken a la tom it's a dish I made up. Uh, my <laughs> wife is a chef. Okay. Um, and so she typically does the cooking in our household, but she gets excited when I make this. So it is, it's, it's chef approved. Um, you just take, um, as uh, you just take one of those glass, uh, it's like glass, uh, you know, the baking pans, mm -hmm. get some chicken breasts. You're going to need, um, variety of tomatoes, not like giant red, but you know what I mean? Uh, some of the yellows and oranges, the smaller tomatoes, artichokes, capers, onions, lemon. Um, and you're, you can, you can do rice. It doesn't have to be rice, but you just season the chicken with like lemon pepper um, seasoning um, and, and like salt and pepper is kind of a normal, and then you throw all of that stuff, the tomatoes, oh, also spinach. So tomatoes, artichokes, spinach, capers, onions, all of that in around the chicken. Mm -hmm. And then you just bake it. You bake it like you're baking the chicken. Nice. At uh, like so 50 or 400? Yeah, the, yeah, like 375 for like 35 minutes. Okay. Four four hundred for yeah, around there. However long it takes to bake chicken, you know, in your oven, <laughs> basically. And don't worry about what, what the vegetables do. They basically just create a lot of juice that marinates the chicken, and then you eat the vegetables and yeah, make it with some rice or whatever your favorite starch is. Nice. 
That is awesome. I actually might have to try that. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's really good, especially in the spring, but it fall, fall too. Okay. Yeah, because it's not tomato season in uh, fall. Yeah. Well, all right, we'll figure it out. But yeah, if you want to, if you want to, uh, uh, link to my wife's Twitter when we hop off. I'll uh, I'll send that to you. She's she she's a food writer for the Washingtonian and can definitely uh, give uh, your your listeners better advice than I can in the food department. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe we might be able to have her on. Who knows? Be fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, the right last question uh, is: mm-hmm. Where can people find out more about you? Um, again, my online presence isn't huge. I'm more of a pick up the phone and call me type of guy, but, um, my business partner, I have a a humble little website, metrodwellings.net. Um, and so all my contact info is there. You can see a lot of the past listings we've sold and, um, read some more in my bio, but, um, I would say the best way to get in touch with me is call. I'm old school and, um, I'm happy to talk about anything really like if you need if you need a wealth advisor a cpa you want advice about buying property you want any sort of connections that i've built for myself or knowledge that i've gained for myself over the last 10 12 years or 37 to be totally honest uh then um yeah call me text me email me let's have a conversation all righty I'll make sure to uh, put that information in the show notes so they can go down and I'll reach out to you. Um, well, I don't have anything extra at this point because I think we're coming up to the end of the show. But I want to thank you so much, Thomas, for coming on to the show to share your knowledge about uh, real estate, how somebody can actually get started and actually how to maintain themselves in their composure to understand like, hey, this is not something that you can just get in within like five minutes and you think you're a golden it takes time five plus years he said so once you sell them to um buying their house back or helping them sell again from buyers to sellers that's what you want to want to make sure you get down to i think i might make that the title of the show (laughs) from buyers to sellers yeah yeah i think that's pretty cool um but i want you all to make sure you link up with uh thomas and his team to make sure you guys are looking into the dc area if you have any interest uh to purchase even long distance he can help you out um so remember if you got any value out of this episode make sure that you like subscribe and share it provides a lot of value uh to yourself and also to others and actually to me as well so we can start getting more people like thomas onto the show to help grow our community and our finances so we can build strong financial habits all right everybody y'all be safe i'm out peace